Welcome to a special edition of the weekly daily fantasy football podcast on the IB Sports Podcast Network. Today, your host, Keith Fleming, and my good buddy, the man with the stats, Joe Matz, are going to cover running backs and tight ends and fantasy football drafts that we would target. For those that do not listen to our weekly daily podcast, we really focus on daily fantasy once the season starts. Each week we give you a high-tier or expensive option that we like, a medium-tier or medium-priced option that we like, and then a uh, low-price, low-tier option that we like. So it would take me and Joe, with the way we are, five hours if we went through all the running backs, receivers, etc. So we're going to do something similar where we're taking a guy near the top of the draft at a position that we like, you know, kind of in the middle, and then a sleeper. Then we're also giving you a guy that we would stay away from. Uh, Joe, how you doing, buddy? Uh, it's a Friday. I can't complain. And in football, hey, we have it back. Happened last night. It's so awesome. Like, it, it's football is one of those deals every year. I forget how much I love it and how much I miss <laughs> it until you see a meaningless preseason game, and I watch the entire first quarter. <laughs> Uh, which just shows we're jonesing. You know, at this point, we're just flat out jonesing. We need a hit of that yes. football. Uh, but let's get right into this. Let's do running backs first, because I think that's what everybody wants to talk about. And again, you're going to hear this over and over again, but I just want to stress it at the beginning. If we don't pick a guy <laughs> or even the guy that we're, you know, saying to stay away from in drafts, it normally has to do with value. We're not saying the guy's yes. bad. And, and having said that, running back, I mean, I think you can make an argument that there's 15 guys that could end up being a top five fantasy running back this year. Uh, I, I might say it's even more than that. See, I love it. Right? I mean, the, you never know. The top five or, or excuse me, the top eight. Hell, I mean, Aaron Jones, I don't want to leave out Aaron Jones. The top nine are extremely strong. You got McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara, Barkley, Chubb, Elliott, Taylor Jones. There's a couple in there with injuries you're worried about, a couple maybe the offensive situation. But the guy I'm going with is Nick Chubb. He is currently the sixth running back being taken and the sixth overall player, which shows you in standard leagues, these are non-PPR, uh, you need to take running backs. I mean, especially if you have a top oh, if it's eight standard, pick, yeah. Yeah. You, if a top eight pick and you're not taking a, one of those top eight running backs or top 11, whichever, I mean, you can go down to Najee Harris. I don't care whatever back you want, but you need to take a back. Uh, but the reason I like Nick Chubb is just the consistency. Last year, we know he missed, uh, I think it was four and a half games. He had 190 carries for 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. He also caught 16 passes for 150 yards, something that has been kind of his weakness is he doesn't catch a lot of balls. That's why Kareem Hunt's on the field a little bit more as he's a better pass catcher. But again, that's in 11 and a half games. In 2019, he had that monster season where he had 298 carries for 1,494 yards and eight tubs or eight touchdowns. And he had just under 1,000 yards and eight scores in his rookie campaign in 2018. So he's just extremely steady. And again, you're getting him six right behind him. Elliott injury concerns. Taylor, you've got quarterback concerns. You got offensive line concerns. Aaron Jones, you know, who knows what the Packers are going to do? Eckler is coming off an injury. You got a rookie, so I mean, Barkley right in front of him again. You got somebody coming off of an injury, and then you got Chubb, who's just extremely consistent. It was kind of a fluke injury last year, 
In the last eight games after he returned from injury, he averaged 17 points per game in fantasy. He scored eight touchdowns. So he scored in seven of those eight games, scored at least 11.4 points in every single one of those games. And he has the six easiest schedule against the run. Again, granted, that's before the season starts. And I know that that could end up right. meaning nothing, but that's saying that the teams from last year with weak run defenses, he's playing a lot of them because if you're, you know, six, that means there's a lot of weak defenses on your <laughs> schedule. Uh, sure. And then I just think that Browns overall are going to be better on offense. Baker was really good down the stretch last year. They had that great playoff run where they kind of figured it out. That was all without OBJ. Maybe OBJ finally becomes the weapon that they think he is. And I just think they're going to be better in the air attack in general. That's going to open more lanes. He's going to be fresh because, I mean, I know some people look at Kareem Hunt as, you know, well, he's a, a handcuff. I mean, I think that they both have value. But it doesn't mean that Nick Chubb is not going to be a stud. And Chubb proved down the stretch with Hunt getting plenty of carries, he can score a ton of points. So that's not an issue. And then, oh, by the way, he just got paid. And, again, being a Georgia fan, Nick Chubb is somebody – I know you have to worry sometimes a guy gets paid and then, okay, well, you know, where's the effort going to be? Nick Chubb is just somebody who wants to run that rock. Uh, he's had two injuries already. He's came back better than ever after him. You're now getting, uh, I think, the second or third year from the ACL. Excuse me, it's been three full seasons since the ACL. They say sometimes with running backs, that takes several years before it gets fully healthy. I just think for all these reasons, and again, he's going six, and I think he has as much potential as anybody after the top five to be a top five running back. There's just a lot of value there. I'm high on the Browns, and I'm really high on Nick Chubb. He's the guy in that top-tier class that I would look to draft. Yeah, I mean, with, with all due respect to, you know, obviously Derrick Henry and then also Dalvin Cook, a number of other guys, Chubb might be the best pure runner in the NFL right now. I mean, he's absurdly productive on the ground. I think, you know, like you said, PPR, you drop him behind a couple guys. Right. Maybe, but if, if you're playing standard, I yeah, I think he's top five for sure. Like, He's awesome. And I, I will say that uh, as far as uh, his schedule goes, year-to-year -year run defense is a lot – it carries over a lot more than pass defense. So if you see a guy has got a weak pass defense schedule, you take that with a bigger grain of salt than you would this. Yeah, I guess that so. could be really fluky, right, because it could be the quarterbacks you face. I mean, there's so many things that could come into how your your pass defense ends up being to where and then, you got to run the ball. <laughs> and then also just run defenders are generally more consistent year to year where, you know, if you're a corner and you make one wrong move, it's an 80-yard touchdown. Exactly. You know, if, Especially today. If you NFL. go the wrong way as a defensive tackle, there's 10 guys behind you. Right. So, uh, th that is why that that's always the thing to look at and you know we're not going to do defenses over the course of this but that is something to look at is look for teams that were good against the run last year because that's the thing that's going to carry over but uh yeah so i like nick chubb um my guy that i'm going with though is jk dobbins from the Baltimore Ravens. So we're staying in the AFC North. Um, right now, he is only going, I believe, let me double check, I think 20th 
among running backs on ESPN. So he's fourteenth if you take the average yes. of all the sites, but I mean twenty-seventh overall too for a guy that I'm with you, right. especially what he showed so down the stretch. So he's going whether it's a ten or twelve team league, he's going in round three right now. Man, I, I think if if you're going standard, I think he's a top ten back. PPR, I think he's at least top fifteen. Like that, that's the reason why when you mentioned you know there's fifteen guys who could end up. Being top five, I'd say you know it might be more because depending on where you're looking, he's sometimes going outside the top fifteen. And I I feel really strongly about him. He was my number two back coming out last year. Jonathan Taylor was my number one, and he's you know going even higher in drafts. So that's why I didn't go with Taylor. But shoot, I lost my tab here. All right, here we go. Yeah. So two years ago, Mark Ingram was in the exact same situation Dobbins is. He had Gus Edwards as his backup, Justin Hills, the third string guy. Ingram had 202 carries, five yards per carry in 15 games. And I, I think that's Dobbins' floor on the ground. Like if 200 carries, 1,000 yards, that's the minimum I'm looking at with him. He had six yards per carry last year. And uh, the Athletics, Casey Joyner, formerly of ESPN, he has a uh, yards per good blocking attempt. So when you get good blocking from the offensive line, how many yards per attempt do you average? Dobbins led the league with 11 and a half yards per carry with good blocking. And the Ravens led the league in good blocking percentage. So you got the best guy when he has good blocking with the team that had the most good blocking. Uh, football outsiders wasn't quite as high, but they hit them as the eighth best offensive line and adjusted line yards. So the opportunities there, I mean, you can't key on him the way you would in most offenses because, again, you know, Lamar Jackson was your Q, top-tier QB last week because he runs for 1,000 yards every year. Yep. So this, this offense is just so difficult to cover on the ground. And be, even beyond that, he's not a zero in the passing game. I think he's worth more in standard leagues just because, you know, I don't think he's going to see a crazy amount of targets. But he had more receptions and targets than any other two Ravens backs combined last season. So he is their number one overall back in every facet of the game. Um, he hit double-digit points the Ravens' final six regular season games. He averaged 17 points per game in that time span. Over the course of the season, that would have ranked ninth among running backs. And I think that's generally what you should be expecting. So it's seven touchdowns in those last six games, too. I mean, he really came yeah. on down the stretch. And the other thing, too, is great is the most aggressive coach on fourth downs, especially fourth and short, is John Harbaugh. So the opportunities are going to be there. The line's there. The quarterback that takes pressure off. God, of he there. averaged six yards of carry last year. I didn't realize yeah. it was that six high. Yards Holy carry. crap. And again, like, is he going to average six yards of carry this year? Probably not. But it's worth remembering two years ago when Mark Ingram was the number one back, over five yards of carry. Gus Edwards is the number two back each of the last two years, over five yards of carry. This offense is extremely productive on the ground. And he has the ability to take it to a level that we haven't really seen before. 
And what did we talk so about last I'm week? More down-the-field weapons than ever before, which, again, right. is a situation if Lamar does a little better throwing the ball, it's just going to open up more for, you know, big plays, particularly if they play action well. Oh, my God, J.K. Dobbins, if, you know, if if, he, if Lamar can have success with play action and throwing down the field, uh, and just, to, I mean, again, he didn't have any more than 15 carries those six games that you talked about. No more than 15, and he had 70 yards or more in four of them, 50 yards or more in all of them. And, again, he had seven touchdowns in the last six games. I, I didn't realize that six yards a carry number. I mean, I told you how much I love Lamar. I think the Ravens are going to be really good this year on offense. I, I completely co-sign yeah. on J.K. Dobbins. Number 24 back last year on ESPN and PPR on 152 touches. That's unbelievable. Really is. Um, the My middle tier guy is somebody that we both really use down the stretch. It's DeAndre Swift, who is kind of surprisingly right now around the 16th back taken, 28th overall, another guy that is going, uh, you know, in the third round, 10 or 12 player teams. And he was on my radar before the news broke this week that – from one of the, the biggest sports writers in Detroit, that he is going to be the bell cow. We, everything we had read is with Jamal Williams. It was going to be, you know, kind of a split situation. And the reports are saying that even with the addition of Williams, it's almost like it's motivated Swift. He looks better than ever in camp. Uh, and, I mean, last year he was doing stuff. I mean, remember how he started his career. Let's, let's start with that. In week one, he had about as bad of a game as possible, including dropping a game-winning touchdown as time expired. <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. And then he was pretty much put on the back burner after that. And then from what week six on, he scored nine touchdowns. He averaged 12 points a game. If you don't include the game versus Indy, where he was banged up, he also averaged – Four and a half targets uh, per game. He caught 33 passes for 233 yards over the last 11 games. And with golf, what is the one thing we know? You need to establish a run. He needs to play action. That is where golf is at his best. Golf is not somebody that you're going to be able to drop him back and sling it. So that's going to mean they're going to establish a run. Swift is going to be the first option to do that. And again, Swift can catch passes so let's say they get down early which is very easy to believe <laughs> yeah. it's not like you just take swift out he's not one of those backs that at that point he's you know he doesn't have any value you could argue his value goes up if you're throwing because swift is i mean one of those really talented back uh field catchers i mean he did it at georgia too where he he, he would take a five-yard pass and turn it into a 60-yard touchdown I think they're going to use Swift very similar to the way they use Gurley in Los Angeles. I really do. That was where golf was at his best, right, was when you had this explosive yeah. running back who could pick up big chunks both on the ground and in the passing game, which Swift can do. That's you know, not just a coincidence. They're both Georgia backs. And, again, I just think he's a good enough pass catcher where he's going to be an every-down back. And, yes, Jamal Williams is obviously going to cut into it, but Swift's not the kind of guy that's going to get 30 touches a game anyway. I take bell cow. I mean, if you're telling me Swift's going to get 20 touches a game, he is going to be definitely a top 15 back, a great chance to be a top 10. And again, you're getting him in the third round. There's a lot of value at that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, he he's going to be the focal point of that offense. 
So, and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it's a surprise. Like, we're, we're targeting guys who second and third year guys, even at running back, wide receiver, tight end. Those are the guys who tend to bust out, have huge seasons, and win you your league. So, I, I think that's a great call. Uh, my, my middle tier guy is uh, not a guy who I think has the potential to be a uh, top five or probably even top ten <laughs> running back. But I do think he's being undervalued right now. That's Mike Davis of the Atlanta Falcons. Um, ESPN, he's currently running back 26. I know he's going a little higher in some other places, but generally he's going outside the top 20 among running backs. And in general, he's going like seventh, eighth, ninth round. It's worth mentioning he was the number 12 running back last year. Now, yeah, is that number boosted by injuries to some stars like Saquon? And then obviously Mike Davis took over because Christian McCaffrey got hurt. He got an opportunity in fairness, though, and took advantage of it, which is what's going to happen right. this year in Atlanta. And it, it's worth mentioning, too, only tw- saw 10-plus touches in 12 games because there were four games where McCaffrey was playing or he just didn't see a lot of action. And as we know, Arthur Smith, granted, you know, Derrick Henry, totally different player, but Arthur Smith is not afraid to just ride with one guy and really pound the ball to that player. And, I mean, you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Can you name the backup running backs right now. Brian Hill and Edo Smith, right? And then they drafted a guy, too. No, Brian Hill's gone. I can't remember where he is now. Edo's still there, right? He's not showing up on the ESPN depth chart. No, I can't. Who are we got? I know we drafted a guy that I can't even remember. So according to ESPN's current depth chart, uh, Quadri Olison, who I I have no idea who that is. Me neither. uh, Cordero Patterson and Javian Hawkins. So those are the guys. So this is not like, oh God, he might lose his job really quickly here. Mike Davis looks like, unless he just does terrible, he's the guy. So if you've got a guy who's the clear number one running back on an offense that I think we both think is going to be pretty good. Well, they're going to be down enough to where, worst case, they're going to be throwing it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get points right. out of it. And Matt and Ryan's I not actually, great in the red zone. They're going to run it in the red zone. I can promise you I that. actually think the fact that you guys are going to throw it a lot is to his advantage. Because I agree. He's only a serviceable runner. He had 3.9 yards per carry last season. I don't. If he averages more than, like, 4.1, 4.2, I'd be surprised. He's an okay runner. But he's extremely reliable in the passing game. He's caught over 80% of the passes thrown his way over the course of his career, including 59 receptions on 70 targets last year. So this is a guy who will gobble up receptions. If you're playing standard, ignore this. Mike Davis, you know, don't, don't expect more than flex from him. But if you're in a PPR league, you need to be taking a strong look at Mike Davis because I think he's going to be a top 20 back in PPR. I actually then, think even in non-PPR, and you look at don't forget that Todd Gurley's If the touchdowns corpse, are there, he, yeah, that's true. And first Todd nine Gurley games, was scoring touchdowns. he had seven games that he scored double figures, including 11.7, 14.2, 18.3, 21, 20.2, 10.6, 11.5. Todd Gurley's done. He still hasn't signed with anybody. 
I mean, he was right. done last year, and you still got that production because, again, because of the offense, the weapons around him, et cetera, and it's going to be the same deal. And, again, I'm a Falcons fan. I had no idea we let go of both Brian Hill and Edo Smith. I have no idea if any of those other guys are good, but I know that Mike Davis is going to get the first crack at it. Right. So, yeah, if the touchdowns are there, he can be top 20 in any league. And I, I do want to throw out another quick guy because I kind of had assumed he would move up higher, and that's why I didn't look at him that much for my mid-tier. But uh, Daryl Henderson of the Rams is another guy I really like. You know, Cam Akers is out for the year. And I, I feel like people are underestimating Henderson. He actually gained, let's see, we'll do my quick math here, 35 more yards on two less touches than Akers last year. Scored twice as many touchdowns and did not fumble. He was productive, and that shouldn't be a surprise. In college, he averaged 8.2 yards per carry, and that was on over 400 runs. Doesn't Stafford throw to running backs a lot, too? I mean, we, obviously we know he was willing to look Swift's way. <laughs> the key moment. Theo Riddick the used to be fantasy-relevant yeah, just Theo because Riddick. of pass-catching. So, and yeah, I think that offense is going to rebound and be better because you're replacing Goff with Stafford. So. Daryl Henderson, that's another guy. I think he's a top 20 running back. He's going outside the top 20, like across the board. And I think he's even steady, steadier than Davis if you're going across the different types of leagues. Like I would, I would lean Davis in PPR, but I like Henderson even more in, stan, in standard than I do Davis. And I think he's a guy with even higher potential. So I'd say look at both of those guys who are going in the 20s that I think are top 20 backs so i just want to say i actually think the rookie running back class is incredible um i wanted to go for my sleeper with travis etney or javante williams who i think both are in wonderful Mm. situations like i I really think it does not need to be overlooked that etney is with his quarterback and his best skill is probably pass catching at least right off the gate and if the right. Jags offense is frisky, like he could be, I mean, one of those just very explosive guys. But, I mean, he's going right now 56. Javante Williams is going 63rd overall. They're the 24th and 25th running back. There's a guy a little further down. He's the 36th running back coming off the board, currently going 94th overall, who is my favorite guy, period, to get in fantasy. And if he continues to go this late in drafts, he's going to be on every one of my rosters. And that's Trey Sermon for the San Francisco 49ers. He had a injury plagued last season at Ohio state, but man, he got to play two games at the end of the season in the big 10 championship versus Northwestern national championship game versus Clemson. He had 524 yards on the ground and 550 total yards offense in those two games. So there is big-time talent there. You have Wilson and Mozart both returning from injuries. One looks like they're definitely going to miss the start of the season. The other, it's going to be close whether or not they're ready. That's Mozart for the the start of the season. The reports out of the San Francisco camp are saying Sermon is getting a majority of the first-string snaps already. People were talking about this guy as a sleeper before the season, thinking, hey, he's going to have to be the second running back, maybe even the third, and work his way up. He's already there. And then you have to look at the fact that neither of those guys are really three-down backs. I mean, they, they're they not. They were used as yeah. three-down backs just because of the, the 
litany of injuries that the Niners have had at running back the last few years and the fact they just really didn't have any other options. But they traded up in the third round to get this guy. So they have capital invested in him. And I just want to remind you what some running backs have done under Shanahan. And this is not even going (laughs) way back. This is just the last few years. Again, Wilson Moser, I don't think they would be guys that other teams would be lining up to sign if they were free agents. Last year, Wilson had 126 carries for 600 yards, averaged 4.8 carries. Mozart had 104 for 521, averaged 5 yards per carry. The year before, Mozart had 137 carries for 772 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. Matt Breda, who is a guy that has done nothing everywhere else he's been, (laughs) he had 126 yards, or excuse me, carries for 623 yards, averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Tevin Coleman in 2018, who has proven he is not a featured back. He had 167 carries for 800 yards, averaged almost 4.8 yards per carry. Devontae Freeman in 2017 had his best yards per carry season, 196 carries, 865 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. The bottom line is Shanahan gets running backs. They run that zone run game, and he's as good as anybody of scheming, you know, basically rushing yards. He schemes rushing yards. And Trey Sermon is a true running back. Like, he's not – like, I know that he's leaned more into these speed guys, which Trey Sermon is not a speedster. But I think if you look at the way Mozart ran when they made that deep run, it was more physical, right? And that was when they were at their most effective. And I think that Trey Sermon being kind of that physical in-between-the-tackle zone runner is what's going to make the Niners' offense the best. Obviously, he has some injury concerns because he got injured. You know, he missed most of the season. He had those unbelievable two games, and then he got injured early in the Alabama game. So, I mean, I can't say that there's not injury concerns, but if you're telling me I can get a guy that could be the bell cow for what I think we all agree is going to be one of the best offenses in the league. I mean, the 49ers offense was good last year with literally every player they have at every position injured. They've got almost everybody coming back. And again, this guy is going almost 194th overall. There's 35 running backs going in front of him. I love Trey Sermon. He's my sleeper. Yeah, um, you've you've been on him since we first started talking about this stuff, and the the hype has only grown since then. Yeah, I wish people would stop you know, hyping him up. Cause I want to be able to get him, you know, when, when I want to get him, which is around what he's going now. I will say that in two, three weeks, especially if he keeps taking first snaps, it's probably going to be two full rounds earlier, but I still think it's worth taking him then. Yeah, because the hype has not caught up in ADP yet. Like there's still, like, like you said, isn't he going in the forties? You said. You're talking about well, as a running back. He's a 36 running back. 36 running back. So if he ends up being the number one back in San Francisco, which all signs are pointing to, he will be. He's at minimum top twenty-five. Yep, I was gonna say top so, twenty. <laughs> if he plays, yeah, I mean, I, if he stays healthy, he's gonna be top twenty. What the Niners do, right. like I just said, Mozart and Wilson last year averaged five point five yards per carry and had over a thousand yards, and either one of them had more than hundred like thirty carries. Yeah, so the the potential's there, and yeah, even if your draft is a week or two from now, you're probably still going to have good value on Trey Sermon. So my uh, 
my final guy is not a guy who's going to win his job, which is why he is he's a deep cut here. And that's uh, Darrington Evans, because he is on the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, he will not be overtaking Derrick Henry on the depth chart. He's currently the 58th running back on ESPN's ADP. So depending on your league, he might not even be getting drafted. But he's the handcuff of the guy who's carried the ball nearly 800 times over the playoff, over the regular season and playoffs over the last two seasons. No one's seen the workload Derrick Henry has. Granted, obviously, he's a mountain of a human being. We've all probably seen that picture of him next to Mark Ingram at this point. He's insane. He's like the modern-day Earl Campbell. But even Earl Campbell broke down eventually. When you're taking this many carries in this short a time, it's just dangerous. Like, So, especially if you're, if you're a, an owner of Derrick Henry, grab Darrington Evans round 14. Put a dollar on him in your auction draft. Like, get this guy just in case. Because people are sleeping on him in part because he was injured all of last season. He only had 16 touches the entire year. But they took him in the third round. That's not a throwaway pick they used on this guy. He's a really explosive athlete. His 10-yard split in the 40 is in the 97th percentile of running back. So he gets off the line quick. His broad jump was 88th percentile. 4-4-140. Only Jonathan Taylor ran faster among running backs two years ago. So he's a crazy athlete. But, the, you know, there are guys who are crazy athletes who don't know what they're doing when they get the ball. He's not one of those guys. Six yards of carry in college, multiple thousand-yard seasons. Uh, the Titans have been using him at wide receiver occasionally in camp, so I think they are working on getting him more involved into the offense even if Derrick Henry is healthy and out there. So he's a guy who, you know, there's a chance if you're, you can keep him on your team if he's getting those receptions. Because obviously sometimes you get these handcuffs, they're not getting any action, it's hard to hold on to them. And then your guy goes down and you're pissed because you cut this guy two weeks ago. So if he's getting those receptions, that way... There's that chance where if you have to use him in a flex, maybe he has a few catches, he scores a touchdown, you're okay. But his primary value, again, though, is no one gets more carries than Derrick Henry, which, A, means he's slightly more likely to get hurt than anyone else. Well, I was going to say, you do it three years in a row, too, with the kind of carries. The drop-off is drastic. I hope that they realize that. Like, you need to – if you want him to be, you know, more than just a two-, three-year flash in the pan, you can't keep running him like you are. And if – if he gets hurt, that's so many carries there. Oh my grabs. god! Yeah, I don't. I don't think Evans. You know, he's just over two hundred pounds. He's not a guy who's going to tote the rock twenty times a game. But when you're losing twenty carries and he gets sixty percent of those, and then you throw in a few receptions, that's good. That's a lot of good opportunity in an offense that I expect to. You know, even with the loss of Arthur Smith, you know that you add Julio. I guess they're going to be a minimum and above average offense. So I think you're looking in that like last round before you draft your kicker and before you draft your defense. Take a good look at Evans, and especially if you're a Derrick Henry owner, I think I think he's a must-have if you're a Derrick Henry owner, unless you're just someone who likes to roll the dice and not handcuff guys. 
And I mean, I think that you could make a statement with the changeover at tight end and stuff that there's a chance that he could end up getting some of those receptions on, you know, third and short. Yeah, exactly. Third and medium, uh, which is even, you know, more of a thing. All right, quickly to go over the running backs that uh, we would avoid. I just want to say this has everything to do just with he's coming off an injury. He's had a couple injuries. I'm sorry because you're wearing a Giants hat, but it's Saquon Barkley. He's going fifth. He's going fifth. And it's like, that's what I don't understand. I know there's tremendous upside, but he's going one pick after Kamara, and he's going in front of Chubb. He's going in front of, you know, Jones, Taylor, guys that yeah, I just yeah. – I think it's more safe. I mean, even Elliott, um, if, if Dak is back, I think is more of a safe play because you also have to worry about – I actually think that Danny Dimes is going to take a step forward, but if he doesn't, it's just going to be a bunch of attention on Barkley. Anyway, we saw this last year when he played, and it's just, again, only him going fifth is what scares me. Now, if you're telling me he's available seventh, eighth, I would definitely yeah. take him. I, he would be my absolute pick because the upside of that position, I think, is a lot higher than other guys. But yeah. I just think for the fifth pick overall, I would stay away. Austin Eckler is in the same position at 10th. He's the other guy that, again, I, I have no problem with Eckler. Actually, Mixon's in the same boat, too, but it's got to be a little bit below where they're going right now. I mean, Eckler's the 15th guy overall. I need to see Eckler finish a season, you know, as being the main back, and it's kind of the same thing with Barkley. It's, it's funny because you and I will usually text each other, like, what we're thinking for the guys that we're, that we're picking as, like, our actual, like, oh, we're staking our flag, this guy's going to be good. We have not discussed either week who are the guys we're fading are, and just like last week with DK Metcalf, we agree on Saquon Barkley. It, it pains me, obviously, as a Giants fan. It, it especially pains me because we took him with the number two overall pick, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so just to throw in a couple things here, like you said, he's missed games two out of his three seasons. He's coming off a major injury. You and I are generally buying on Daniel Jones moving forward, but... And, you know, the team added weapons to try to make sure teams can just load up in the box. But Kenny Galladay is already hurt. They're op- so far, it seems they're optimistic he'll be fine and probably suit up week one. But he's already banged up. There's no guarantee Saquon at this point is going to be playing week one. So if you're drafting and you don't have that guarantee, I don't understand how you can be taking him fifth or sixth. If you, already, if you don't know that he won't suit up week one, and then the offensive line, the one thing that's really keeping me from buying in on this team, well, besides Jason Garrett, we're starting three guys who are going to be in their second seasons of the NFL. A fourth starter is in his third season and only his second season playing center. This is the least experienced offensive line in the National Football League. PFF ranked the Giants dead last in their preseason Offensive line rankings. Jason Garrett, 31st in pre-snap motion last season. He's not disguising plays very well. I wish so badly that he had been fired. Ask the Falcons how that worked out for him last year, where they were in that that range, and we had a problem all year getting any rushing yards. And like what you said, it led to a ton of second and longs, and Ryan's numbers were bad on second down because of it. And Saquon Barkley started last season perfectly healthy. 
The 19 carries he had before he went down, he gained 34 yards. <laughs> he was getting, I think his, like, yards per attempt, like, pre-contact was, like, negative one. Well, it looked like there was nine guys in the backfield. backfield. Yeah, the minute he got the ball. Now, th- there's a chance that all these young guys improve. This isn't a bunch of journeyman linemen. It's right. young players who could improve. Maybe the line gels. It all works out. He's a top five back. Awesome. I hope that happens. But, just man, there are just so many question marks on this Giants offensive line. I hate Jason Garrett. We don't know Saquon's health. There's just no way he should be going fifth or sixth in drafts right now. And we're both, you know, we're not going to do the strategy podcast, I don't believe. But, I mean, you have to hit your number one pick. That, to me, is the biggest, biggest, especially if it's the top half where you're not going to pick again for, you know, 20 picks or whatever. You have to hit your top half, and it's just too dangerous. And, yeah, you have to minimize risk early. Take shots later in the draft once you've got a pretty set team. Don't be the guy being like, oh, I'm all in on Saquon at number three. Like, yeah, it could hit. Maybe it wins you your league, but there's just so many. It's like blackjack, right? Play the percentages. Uh, Moving on to tight ends. I'm going to keep this simple for my guy at the top. It's Kyle Pitts. I know what people are going to say, that it's dangerous with rookies, but I don't know any rookie tight ends that have Calvin Johnson's size and speed that can line up all over the field and have a guy like Julio Jones who gets that kind of target share that's gone. And in a vacuum, I think he's going to end up receiving the most of that target share. I'm not saying he's getting all of it. A lot of us going to – there's some's going to go to Ridley, Gage, but I think he's going to be the main recipient of that. He's going to end up being the second target guy on the team. And I just think there's a good chance he's comparable to, like, potentially Waller or Kittles. Now, there's no way he's going to put up a Kelsey-type season. And if Kittles ends up being truly what he was two years ago, he's not going to get to that Kittles. Uh, But I do think that there's a potential for a Waller-type season where it's boom or bust most weeks. He either has really big games or is kind of, you know, a non-factor. But I just want to remind people that Arthur Smith, last year in Tennessee, with Janu Smith and Arthur Arthur Fisker, not exactly guys – that are studs at tight end. Right, solid. 114 targets. Those guys had 80 receptions for over 800 yards. And then Matt Ryan loves to throw to tight ends. Just in the last three seasons, I was I went back and did the last 10 years, and by the way, uh, over uh, 99 targets or more in four, five, six, seven, eight of the last 10 seasons, 99 targets or more to tight ends in eight of the last 10 seasons. Now, the early ones were skewed by obviously having Tony Gonzalez as one of the greatest tight ends, if not the greatest of all time. But the last three years, the best tight end was either Hayden Hurst or Austin Hooper, which again, not saying those guys are bad, but they are nowhere near the talent that Cal Pitts is. In the last three seasons, 106 targets to tight ends, 121 targets to tight ends, 104. If he throws 100 targets to tight ends, that means at least 60 or 70 are going to Cal Pitts. If he gets 60 or 70 targets, this dude could do some serious damage. If it gets higher than that, which there's potential with Julio, he could end up being a real breakout guy. Now, there is concern that right now he's going 50th overall, and he's the fourth tight end off the board. I love where he's at right now. The hype's going to build, and if he gets – into that 40, you know, 35, 40 range, 
even somebody like me who's all in him, I don't know if I can take him then. But if he's in this 45 to 50 range, so much upside here. And, I mean, you basically could be getting another wide receiver at tight end, which we all know that's huge. And normally you have to spend a first, second, or third round pick to do it. Yeah, I think if I, I think if you can't look at him first four rounds, there's just that's risking too much. Yep, I agree. You get around five or six. I mean, like you said, the he's a freak. He, you know, it's like when you look at Quentin Nelson, you know, sixth overall pick as a guard. Normally, you're like that's insane. You don't pick a guard sixth overall. He's been an all-pro. I mean, granted, he's hurt this year to start off the season. All-pro every season of his career. Now, obviously, we're not saying that's going to happen here because uh, Travis Kelsey, Kittle, Waller exist. So it's all-pro pretty tough <laughs> to get. But, but you know, the, as much as I, like we just said, minimize risk, tied, I'm, I'm going to actually get into it when I talk about why I think this guy should go ahead of him. But, uh as much as there is risk with taking rookie tight ends, if someone can beat it, it's him. And especially, I think, in, in that offense, like you said. But uh, my top-tier tight end I'm looking at is uh, TJ Hawkinson. This one's pretty simple. He's a former top-10 draft pick, eighth overall two years ago. He's entering his third season, so he's got some game under him. He's the number one receiving option on the Lions. We've talked before about the Lions depth chart. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's journeyman wide receivers. Everybody's gone. <laughs> Amon Ra, St. Brown. Those Everybody's are gone from last receivers. year. Yep. Yeah, Marvin Jones is in Jacksonville. Kenny Galladay is in New York. All the top guys are gone. He is the number one receiving option in this offense. And he was the number five tight end last year when that wasn't always the case where Kenny Gall, they played some games. Marvin Jones was there the whole year. And in case you just need a little bonus, his head coach is a former tight end. They're not going to forget about the tight end. So he's the number five tight end overall last year. Granted, Goff's not as good as Stafford. That's fine. It's a downgrade. I'll give you that. But everything else is pointing to he should be as good or better this season. And he's the number six tight end right now. He's going... Again, number five tight end last year, number six tight end right now. Doesn't make any sense. Mark Andrews is going 15 spots ahead of him, even though Hawkinson outproduced him last year. And like we've already talked about, the Ravens added weapons. Lots of Lions them. lost them. Ravens added them. No idea why Mark Andrews is going ahead of him. And Name as recognition. Much as, yeah. And he's on a team that people pay attention to. And then, as much as I also love Pitts, and if you know if you're in a dynasty keeper league, you want to take Pitts over Hawkinson, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. You probably should. Like if outside of those top three, if you're in a league where you can keep them going forward, get Pitts. But if I'm in a league where it's just one off one year, and I've got Hawkinson or Pitts, as much as I am with you on all the stuff where like Pitts has. Sky high potential. Six tight ends in league history, six rookie tight ends have broken 700 yards. Three have broken 60 receptions. He's going to break it. It's extremely rare. I think it probably happens, but we're saying here, though, that 60 receptions for 700 yards is something that's happened three times ever for a rookie tight end. So if you're telling me, and then Hayden Hurst is still there. 
like you you mentioned to me beforehand, probably going to run a lot of double tight. I mean, you should if you have both of those guys. But if you're telling me three guys ever have done this, and I'm betting on this guy being the fourth, or I can take TJ Hawkinson, who already was a top five tight end last year, and is in a situation where he should do even more this year, take TJ Hawkinson. What's Again, he going dynasty, over? Um, let me pull it up. I think it was like low 60s. I think he was 61st. Yeah, if you're telling me that I can get him a whole round later, that that I mean, it is. It's just it's it's a better pick. I mean, obviously, I don't think he has quite as much of the upside, only because we don't know how they're going to use Pitts. If they end up using him on the outside a lot, what kind of right. routes he's going to run, but it's just going to be a steadier pick. And again. Safe picks, particularly, you know, when you're filling out your lineup early, usually is what ends up to loaded teams. It's usually the guy that you're, like, seeing them drafting players, and they're going, oh, okay, okay, okay. And the next thing you know, you look like week three, and you're like, God almighty, this guy's killing everybody. Yeah. It's because everybody and, on the roster scoring 10 again, points a game. Even though, you know, he's not Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts is, like, the freak tight end prospect of all time. I mean, he's literally and, built and runs like Calvin Johnson, which is but just again, terrifying. again, TJ Hawkinson was the number eight overall pick. Yeah, this a was a guy dude. where people were like, this is a potential all-pro tight yep, end. With the absolutely. Draft. Otherwise, you don't take a guy that high a tight end. So, to me, if it's a one-off, you're only drafting for this year, take the safer guy who's the number one option in his offense. All right, so my middle-tier guy, and again, this will be even shorter. We love Logan Thomas. Man, did he really turning on the down the stretch, which gives me even more confidence. He ended up the season getting 110 targets, 72 receptions, 670 yards, six touchdowns. Unbelievable season if you drafted him. I mean, what a steal. He, he was basically probably one of your last picks. Um, but what's more impressive is the last six games, and this was when Washington was playing at their best, which is the other thing I like about it, was they had success. They had two running backs going. They had their star receiver. I mean, they had – all their guys going, and Logan Thomas was still eating. He averaged 9.1 points per game over the final six. That included a 4.3-point performance and a 6.3. So, I mean, he was scoring points down the stretch. He had three double-digit games. I just think that Fitzpatrick is an upgrade to what they had at quarterback last year. And, again, yes, I know they've got a stud receiver. I know they got two backs that both can catch passes. But I just think he's going to get enough. And he is right now going 105th overall. He's the ninth tight end being taken. I think there's extreme value if you're going to be able to get him at that point again this year. Yeah. Uh, we, we obviously were uh, pretty we – were, we were literally early on the bandwagon, like, a little before too early. It actually, well, yeah, before <laughs> it actually paid off to be on it. We were on the Logan Thomas bandwagon. And, I mean, I think people, if you look at that team, they've added a couple weapons. Will the volume still be there quite as high? Maybe not. But going from the QB play they had last year, which Dwayne Haskins was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. And honestly, Alex Smith was not that well, I was gonna say, it wasn't any better. The, the yeah. next worst. Like, he he was pretty terrible. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, lo and behold, he's in his, like, late 30s now. I think PFF, he's, like, right around over the last three seasons, if you combine him, he's, like, the number 15, 16 QB in the league. Like you can expect league average play 
from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Week to week, it might, you know, be highs and lows, but he's going to average out to be about a league average QB, and that's a massive upgrade in that offense. So my number, or my not number, my middle tier guy is Tyler Higby of the Rams. This is the uh, post-hype rebound. He was the number seven tight end taken last year. Massive, me. massive disappointment for people. But I, I think there's a really good chance that he comes back this year. Gerald Everett is gone. Losing Jared right. Goff helps. Yeah. He upgraded a QB, the tight end that was taking up. Gerald Everett had 62 targets. Tyler Higby had 60 last year. These guys were like splitting it down the middle. Everett's gone. That's not to say they're not going to do anything else with their other tight ends. But he now is in position to be the guy. And I'm just going to read through some splits. This is courtesy of uh, Jake Seeley of The Athletic. He did a, a little breakdown here of Higby the last two seasons when Gerald Everett played versus when Gerald Everett did not play. So granted, the when Gerald Everett played is a much larger sample size. It's 24 games versus five games. But still, when Everett was on the field, Tyler Higby, PPR, 7.2 points per game. Five games when Everett was not there, 23.2 points per game. Goes from three receptions to nearly eight receptions. 0.12 receiving touchdowns per game to an average of one per game. So basically, he goes from an un- unplayable, really, if you, if you have other options, to a potentially elite tight end. Now, I'm not saying like, hey, just bank on this guy being a top five tight end. But right now, he's tight end number 17. And I think he's a starting tight end. Like I was originally looking at Johnu Smith in this spot. I like Johnu Smith for the Patriots, but Hunter Henry's there. They're gonna run a lot of double tight, but I don't know exactly what that looks like. I think this offense is gonna be better than it was last year. Upgraded a quarterback. He's got more opportunity, and in the five games we saw him have real opportunity the last two years, he took off. So I think he's a guy you can take really late, and I think you're gonna to get top ten value. At tight end. All right. So my bottom guy, I want to go with Anthony Fersker. I just talked about all the targets in Tennessee. Definitely a guy to look at. Smith is gone, though. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to continue to throw to tight ends that much. We don't really know if there's going to be a change in the offensive, you know, scheme, what they're going to do exactly. But he's somebody who I think you can see a, you know, big target show and he's going late. But it's Cole Komet is the guy that honestly either would like your last pick or if you just, you know, somebody to pay attention to because it officially came out today, which is something I think we kind of all knew, that Matt Nagy on the record said, hey, he's going to get an increased role this season. Komet had 28 receptions, 243 yards, and two touchdowns last year, but he was literally not involved at all till about the last five, six games. So pretty much all of that was down the stretch This is another team that there is a massive upgrade at quarterback, like especially when Fields get in there. I could see Cole Komet being the kind of guy with with Justin Dalton out there. That should be an upgrade. And I just think that 
again, second-year guy, a lot of talent. They drafted him relatively early in the draft, especially for a tight end. And now the coach is coming out on Wednesday saying, you can go and expect to see an increased role. I'm not worried about Jimmy Graham being there. I think this is going to be Cole Komet being the number one tight end, getting the number one targets. The Bears are another team that I think they could be frisky on offense, especially Fields is wowing people, like just wowing people. We talked about him last week and the quarterbacks you need to keep. Cole Komet, uh, you know, we talked about obviously Robinson and Montgomery. Uh, the Bears' weapons are guys, especially that you can get at low value like Cole Komet. I would be stacking up because I think Justin Fields is going to end up being the starter. He's going to end up wrecking the league, and that's going to mean guys that are right now not hyped and getting low value like Cole Komet, who is – currently going 240th so i mean he's not even getting drafted in most leagues he's a guy you can get he's like i think the 28 tight end overall taken right now he's the guy that got in the low tier yeah um like we like i went over earlier earlier rookie tight ends tend to generally not be productive so it's really helpful to look at tight ends who are in that second in that third season they've adjusted to the nfl they're ready to go and I, I think Cole Komet has a real chance to be that guy. Um, my low tier guy is also a second year tight end. That's Adam Troutman for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Troutman was my number one ranked tight end in the draft class of 2020. Granted, obviously, not the greatest tight end draft class. You know, I, I think he would have been third in this year's. Um, he's a small school guy, so he's out of Dayton. So I think a lot of people, he's flying under the radar. But, you know, he didn't play much last year, so I just want to give people a little overview of what he was grading out on PFF when they were looking at this tight end class. He had a 94.2 overall grade. Again, granted, at Dayton, but it was the highest overall grade in that draft class. He had a 94.3 receiving grade, highest in that draft class. He was second in broken tackles among those tight ends. Uh, he was second in deep yards, so that's passes 20 or more yards downfield. This is a really solid tight end, and Jared Cook is gone. That job is open, and before Drew Brees had a total noodle alarm last year, Jared Cook was a productive guy mm -hmm. in Sean Payton's offense. And, you know, I'm assuming if we're going to see Jameis Winston. If it's Taysom Hill then, yeah, take Cole Komet. <laughs> but if, if Jameis Winston is out there, you know, he, he it was split between Cameron Brate and O.J. Howard. I was say, he, he had was two not, guys that produced. He was not afraid to look for tight ends. He loves and Sean Payton's, as, outside of Andy Reid, Sean Payton's as good of an offensive coach as there is in the NFL. So Adam Trotman's another guy. I think he's going around he's that 20th too. tight end range. Yeah, he's a prick. I don't like rooting for him. But he and Komet, I think you look at both of those guys, you know, pick one or the – if you want to wait at tight end, and if you don't get – honestly, like, my general strategy is I want to wait on – if I'm not getting an elite tight end, I'm waiting a long time. I'm going to try and hit on one of those other guys just because, you know, I, I like Logan Thomas. I like Higby. But to me, wait. If you can take your starting tight end and that guy ends up being a top tight end, you take him like round 13, 14, that adds so much value to your other picks because you 
just loaded up at wide receiver and running back earlier. And I think one of these, at least one of these guys, I think is going to be a top, up 10, 12 tight end in Troutman and Komet. So I think take a look at both, pay attention to what people are saying in camps. But these young tight ends have the chance to be a huge value to your team. All right, real quickly, because, of course, we've gone over. Um, The tight end I'm avoiding, Hunter Henry, he's going too early. It's just a deal where he's going too early. The last four seasons, he's finished in scoring 11th, 12th, 8th, and 15th. Uh, He had 93 targets last year, and he only turned that into 60 receptions for 600 yards and four touchdowns. He's going to New England where they're going to run a lot of two tight end. I get that. I think Janu Smith may end up being the more used of the two because I just think what he can do. Henry's getting old. He's had a ton of injuries. And, again, it's not that I'm against Hunter Henry, but he is right now the 14th tight end off the board and 122nd pick. I would take Janu Smith before that. I would take Tyler Higbee. I'd take Irv Smith Jr. These are guys you can get 20 picks after him. I take that you could again. We talked about Troutman and Komet. There's no way I'm taking Hunter Henry in the 122nd average position. He's the guy I'm avoiding. Yeah, um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm with you. I like Johnny more in that offense. Like, I'm generally not a person who takes two tight ends. I mean, maybe you know, in some leagues it makes sense, but generally I'm loading up at running back and wide receiver. So Hunter Henry's like basically off off my board to me because I'm not taking the number two tight end in an offense. Um, my guy again, this is one that totally comes down to value, and it's Mark Andrews. Is Mark Andrews a really good tight end? Yeah, he is. But do I think it makes sense for him to go 15, 16 picks ahead of T.J. Hawkinson? If you've listened to the rest of the podcast, you know I don't think that makes any sense. He's going two picks after Kyle Pitts and has none of the upside. Yeah, I, we, we've seen his best. His best is good. Like, he could give you 800 yards. He might give you eight or nine touchdowns. But, you know, he's not going to join that that top three in a way that I think Pitts and Hawkins both have the potential to do. Um, like we said, they've added weapons. I think, you know, he missed, I believe, two games last year. But I, my general guess is he's probably going to produce about the same. It's going to be 60 catches. It's going to be 700, maybe 800 yards seven or eight touchdowns, he's going to be a good tight end. Do I feel that strongly he's going to be better than your middle tier, Logan Thomas? I don't. And I get Logan Thomas like 20 or 30 picks later. So to me... Noah Fant has more upside, and you can get him 50 picks later. Especially if Teddy Bridgewater takes that job, I'll feel a little bit better there. So to me, unless you're taking those top three guys, obviously get them if you can, love it. After that, I think you look at Hawkins and you look at Pitts. Those are the two guys where I'm like, I can easily imagine. You would take Kittles and Waller real quick because I know we ran over, but you would take Kittles and Waller in the second, third round because Kelsey, I agree with you. I mean, he's he's proven time. Kelsey, obviously. I do worry about Kittles and Waller with some of the receivers that are going to be out there, maybe, you know, getting a second running back there. Yeah, I, I worry about taking both of them where they're at going because they're going 25th and 29th overall. Yeah, I mean, the thing though is the like the value drop. I mean, potentially again, we, we've mentioned Hawkins and Pitts ad nauseum, 
maybe they close the gap. There's five really good tight ends this year. But in general, last few years, there's three or four tight ends that are way above everybody else. And then the drop off from like four to, you know, four to, let's say four to six is usually like bigger than the drop off from like six to 10. So I just think. Actually, I'm sorry. I just saw Waller had 117 and 145 targets the last two years. Never mind. Yeah. No, I remember there were times last year where I was like, this guy's getting like legit number one wide receiver targets. They disregard um, that. You're right. Kittle, I, maybe I'd be a little more worried about because he's also had injury concerns. Yeah, but remember the year that he had the year before. So, no. I, yeah. I'm, so, yeah. but yeah, those three guys, I think it makes sense. Now, obviously, if you're taking them like 15 and it's not Kelsey, then you, you've gone too far. Exactly. But if you're at the back end of the second round, start of the third round, that makes sense for those guys. After that, like I said, I think we think Hawkinson and Pitts potential to join those guys. I don't think Mark Andrews has that. Don't be taking him in the fourth round. Wait for Fant. Wait for Logan Thomas. Like I said, I think you can get Higby at the very end of your draft. You can get one of those second-year tight ends at the end of the draft. I just think the value makes so much more sense to wait than to take Mark Andrews in the fourth or fifth round. Robert Tanyan's had 90 targets the last two years. He's 113th overall. There, there's although plenty of I, options. Although I will say with Tanyan, definitely do not expect the same touchdown production as last season. That's a, I think that was pretty fluky because what did he have, like 10 or 12 touchdowns? I actually don't think it ended up being that much because I just looked at Nine it. Of, oh, no, it was 11. Yeah, it was, he had 11 touchdowns on 59 targets last season. So, what was more insane was he had 52 no, receptions on 59 targets. How the hell do you yeah. not throw it to him more? He, 80, 88% catch rate, which is uh, not repeatable. Uh, so I, I like Tanya, and I like waiting for him more than I like Mark Andrews, but I would take, like, Noah Fant, Logan Thomas, definitely before I would take Robert Tanya. So I think this is going to be the last preview podcast that we do. Um, in the group, like, don't ever uh, be afraid to put a post. Don't ever be afraid to reach out to us and message us. Yeah. You can ask us about anybody. We will be happy to answer it. Seriously, like, this is what we do. Me and Joe love talking this stuff. We could potentially, that could be our one final podcast, maybe, is just do a a mail bike. Yeah, I I like it. If we can get enough questions. Oh, I think we can. Uh, Again, just real quickly, IB Sports Podcast Network. You can find on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. We'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe. Uh, rate, review, and share it. Um, but for Keith Fleming, Joe Matz, it's been the weekly daily fantasy football podcast covering.